Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good morning to everyone. Good to see you today. Great to see I'm seeing some... Uh, some new faces one so good to have you if you're a guest here just hope you feel right at home and and then uh college students coming back do we have some spring breakers in the house but uh thanks for spending spring break with us but just so good to, to see everyone and excited to get into God's word but before we do could I just may I ask you a personal question what is your life message have you ever come up with a, uh, your life message? Like if you had, okay, it's not to be morbid, but if, if you've got 10 minutes to live, it's your last moment with your loved ones, and you're like, what do I tell these people that I love? Sum up everything that matters most in life into a, a sentence or two. What would you say? What, what would be your life message? That thing that matters most... You could talk, you can say it in 20 seconds, but you could talk about it for two hours or two days to the people you love to help them in their journey. What would you, what would you say? What would be yours? And I would challenge you to, if you haven't yet, to come up with one. It's, it's a fun exercise. A couple years ago, I was challenged to do this and thought, hey, I, I need to be ready in case that, that 10 minutes comes and, and uh, I, I came up with it and it felt good to be ready for those, my last 10 minutes, like check, got that done. But then I'm like, I shocked at how often the benefit of I share this message often with, with when I have opportunity and it's one of those it's like a north star when I lose get all sidetracked and, and my soul gets sprayed just okay what's the main thing what's what's the this is the main thing and I pray through my life message it helps me just get back on track so do you could I share it with you and one example as you work on yours and it is this there's two parts to it. The first part is be reconciled with God through faith in Jesus. That's the gospel summed up. So if anybody doesn't know Christ, the main thing is you can have peace with God. Be reconciled with God through faith in Jesus. But here's the second part. Follow Jesus, okay? Follow Jesus into a life of love. That's the main thing. Loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. Loving others as Christ loved us. So follow Jesus into a life of love with humility, courage, and joy are the three ways that we do that. So when I say courage, I, why courage? Why would that be like core to my life message? And it's this reason. Courage is what mobilizes every other virtue and enables us to live out the mission that God's called each one of us to live out in the face of fear, which we all struggle with, and resistance, which we will all face. The most repeated command in the Bible, Jesus, God telling us, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And he reminds us, I am with you. It's his presence that, that, that allows us to be that. I think of even Jesus with the disciples in John 14 where he's like, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Be strong, be courageous. Has anyone seen the movie The Tale of Despero or the, uh, read the book? I guess it's a bestseller kid's book. Anybody? Oh my, this is all. We, I wish we could play the preview, but uh, we'll, I'll, I'll share a moment out of the preview to this movie, and it's about this little mouse. And what I love about this is Despero, it's his eyes, the eyes of courage. And what they diagnose Despero with is, a, in the mice world, it's a disability. He is brave. 
And as a mouse, that does not serve you well. Virtuous mice are fearful. That's what you want to be if you're a mouse. You want to be afraid of things. And so they would train uh, their kids to be fearful. And unfortunately, Despero just did not have that. He, he was courageous. And he had to go to the principal's office. His parents were called in. And your son has a problem. He, he's brave. And we're sorry, but he needs to work on this. He needs at homework. And then the teacher, there's one scene where the teacher is showing flashcards of scary things to teach these kids what to be afraid of. So she's going through the flashcards and she holds up a carving knife. And the whole class screams and drops under their desks. Good mice. How, they check, they did it, except Despero sitting there just like that. And she's like, oh, Despero, what are we going to do with you? This is a carving knife. It could hurt you. You're supposed to be afraid. To which Despero says, I don't see a carving knife. I see a sword. To which I get pumped up every time I watch this movie. <laughs> I love it. But, but what I love about this is Despero sees something different than every other mouse. We watch as followers of Christ live out in the first century their faith in Christ, seeing something different than what others saw. Peter, John, and this, their faith family, we're going to watch them enter a fear-inducing situation and not re respond with fear, but rather boldness and courage. And you say, what are they seeing? And we're, we're going to... This text uncovers that, but what it does is not only does it encourage us to live a life marked by courage or bold witness as we uh, follow Christ, but it also gives us some, some practical uh, tools to follow. And so excited to dig into this. We'll go ahead, and it's Acts chapter 4, as Marcy mentioned. This text opens with an uh-oh moment. As we know, um, if, if you're just joining us today, last week, Peter and John walk into the temple. They heal a guy who had been lame, and in the power of God, uh, Christ, and then they begin to talk about Jesus being the Savior and being the one who has died but rose from the dead and offers eternal life to everyone who would believe. So up until this point, it's pretty much a pretty positive crowd of onlookers, curious. Um, but this is that moment when, uh-oh, <laughs> here comes the resistance that Jesus told them that this will happen as the power people walk into the room. Verse 1, it says, the priest and the captain of the temple guard. So this would be like the chief of police for the temple. And the Sadducees, or a religious group that, that would guard the teaching of the, of the day. They came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were not just disturbed, they were greatly disturbed, Luke tells us. So they're, they're mad at this moment. Because the apostles... We're teaching the people. Like, who gave them the authority to be teaching? And two, they're proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So the way that you can rise from the dead is through faith in Christ, they're saying. So they put hands on him, seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Easy to fly by this, but like, okay, you're spending a night in jail. It's, it's getting real. But... Many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed were about 5,000. So God's word's working in hearts. They numbered people by head of the family, the men. So we know this is probably more like 10,000 people at this point have trusted Christ. Verse 5, the next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. 
So this was the, what they called the Sanhedrin. It would be like our Supreme Court, the most powerful people who decided what would happen. They, they were the law of the land. There were about 70 of them plus the high priest. So 71 of the most powerful people come into this room. And it's, it's like Luke wants us to fill it. Like he, he paints some faces that, that would just, when you saw this face, it would like, whoa, I'm in the room with them. Ah, you, you start to get nervous. And it's the high priest was there. So were his son-in-law Caiaphas and then his son John, who would later be, become high priest. Alexander and the others of the high priest family. So this is a who's who of, of power in this culture. And they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? Peter and John know it's as if the trial that Jesus went through is being reopened. These are the same people who, who crucified him, found him guilty and innocent but, but had him killed. So they know this is, uh, here we go, here we go. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Now, quick side note, what's it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And this is important for us. When we come to faith in Jesus, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's different, that his indwelling, we never lose. He, he will always be with us. The filling here is being empowered for a special task or purpose. And we see this in, we're taught this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, that says, be filled with the Spirit. So this is something God calls us to do. Say, well, how can you be filled with the Spirit? It's passive. It's a passive command, which means it's not something you do. It's something you let God do to you, where you surrender to him and say, I will do what you want me to do in this moment. I'll follow you. And, and even if that means into risk through a, a fear-filled situation, I will follow you. And so Remember Jesus promised these guys, hey, John 14 and Luke 12, you will stand before the rulers of the day, and when you do, don't worry about what you're going to say. I will tell you what to say. And so this is a direct answer to that promise, or a, a hanging on to that promise. Is, here he comes, here's what Peter says, rulers and elders of the people. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus, the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. He's quoting Psalm 118, 22, and Isaiah 8, 14. And then he says this, he sums it up, salvation. So the way to be right with God, sin's forgiven, and have this love relationship with God, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by mankind by which we must be saved. Bold witness right here. I love later in Peter's letter, he says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And you, you see that here, Peter's ready to, to point to Christ, but he does so respectfully and, and gently. But what, what do you think is the re response to these leaders? As they watch these two guys um, give this witness for Christ. Check it out, verse 13. When they saw the courage, the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. These are guys, fishermen. Unschooled doesn't mean illiterate. It means they hadn't had this, the training for a rabbi and they did not have a position of, of uh, prominence in the religious system there. They're ordinary guys. 
They were, and what, what's their reaction as they watch these guys? They were what? Astonished. Like, wow, marveling. It, 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 and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Really important. What, are they, what dot are they connecting? Guys, how do we, where does courage come from? What's the source of our courage as followers of Christ? To follow him boldly wherever he leads. Here's the truth to, to remember today and, and that we see in this text. I'll put it on the screen. The source of our courage is proximity to Jesus. Jesus Christ today is risen and reigning. We say as a church, he is obviously present, actively in charge. He is with us in these moments. The question, are we awake and aware and living in his presence? We know that we receive the, uh, the assurance of his presence through the Holy Spirit who indwells us. But as we do life, keeping our eyes fixed on Christ, how did these guys respond with courage in a fear-inducing environment and situation? They were living in step with their Lord. They had seen the risen Lord. And, and what I love about this moment, the religious leaders, like these guys have been with Jesus. What do we know? It's not we have been with Jesus. We are with Jesus in this moment. He's, uh, he's with us as we follow him. And so, the, uh, as we work through each scene of this, this moment, there are three observations that not only encourage us, but instruct us and, and motivate us to, to live our lives in close proximity with Christ. So we do life just to abide with him, seek him, and, and live in his presence. So the first observation we see in this scene, and it's this, when we've been with Jesus, it changes how we view opposition. Instead of seeing opposition as opposition, we see it as opportunity. The eyes of courage. Okay, 71, the Sanhedrin is gathered here. Peter and John are in jail. What would you do if you were sleeping, trying to get to bed at night before you know you're about to stand before the, go on trial before the most powerful people in the, in the world? Would you have trouble sleeping? Stressed out, fearful, tossing and turning? Not if you know the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, is going to be standing right next to you and giving you just what you need to say. It's not opposition, it's opportunity. I think these guys didn't go to sleep or struggled to go to bed out of fear. I think they struggled to fall asleep out of excitement because tomorrow's going to be a day of salvation. God put us in the epicenter of the religious community, Jerusalem, two backwoods Galilean fishermen to speak about Jesus, who is the risen Lord, to the power people of the day. Some priests are about to get saved tomorrow. John, you ready to see God do a work? This isn't a problem. <laughs> this is an opportunity. Now, they could kill us, but what Jesus said, don't worry about those who can kill the body. Worry about the one who can take the, kill the soul. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. We're in a better place. But, uh, but we have an opportunity today to see some precious people come to faith in Christ. Power people who their influence could influence. And what happened? Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Acts chapter 6, several days later, it says, So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of who? Priests became obedient to the faith. Where did those priests hear about this? It was the day God called church together, and I called the, the religious leaders. Said, hey, you all gather up, and you think you're in charge? You're not in charge. I'm in charge, and I'm going to speak my word through these two backwoods fishermen and bring you to heaven. 
that awesome? What an encouragement to us in the midst of, there are times we will face opposition. And it'll seem like evil is winning the day. But to know that God is at work in the opposition. And it's not opposition, it's opportunity to be Christ. Often we, we shine the brightest when um, we're being hit with stuff that other people would respond differently to. Rather than responding in love and grace and truth, um, they would be hitting back, but not the follower of Christ. Bold witness, um, hoping and praying that God will do a work in, in the lives of even our opponent or those who are opposing us. So what do the leaders do? Well, once they gather themselves and get over the, like, wow, who, these guys are bold, talking to us this way, they, uh, verse 14, it says, but since they could see that the man who had been healed was standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and confer together. So Peter and John, would you please step outside, and we need to talk. And here's what the primary question that guided their discussion. What are we going to do with these men? Don't you love that? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign. We can't ad- deny it. But to stop this thing, this thing, you got to stop this thing. I don't know what you call this thing, but we got to stop it. We need it to, to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people. We must warn them not to speak any longer to anyone in this name. So they call them back in. And uh, it says, uh, they commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go, and uh, because they could not decide how much to, or how to punish them, because of all the people who... Because all the people were praising God for what had happened, for the man who was miraculously healed. I love how Luke adds this little commentary. They're praising God because this guy who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. It's like, he was really, I won't say old, but he, he's headed downhill, and yet he, is, uh, he has been healed. This is truly a miracle, and uh, the people are so excited about that. So, Second, as we see these guys responding this way, bold witness, they're not seeing opposition, they're seeing opportunity. And once again, I love the way that, that Peter, um, you see his response is, is one with gentleness, it's uh, respectful to these guys, but it's courageous, it's bold. And uh, again, and I think if, if we're in Peter and John's shoes, there's also an element of this that's really hard just from a standpoint of doing what's right, in that your whole life you've looked up to these leaders and you followed these leaders. And these are good men. These are men who are committed to God. They're servants of, they're given their lives to serving Yahweh, the, the holy God. And, and they're wise and they're learned and all these things. And so for Peter and John to say this to them couldn't have been easy. But, and I love it again, how they do this respectfully. Like they start with a question. You guys decide, what, what would you do? What would be right in your eyes? Obey you, men, or obey God? But then they, they just say, the bolt with bold. Okay, these guys are saying, Peter, John, stop talking. Shut your mouth. And they say, wish we could, in essence, but we can't, and we won't. So what do they do? 
threaten them more. Luke just flies by in a sentence, but can you imagine what those threats may have been? Pretty sure something about family, something about finance, something about your future. I mean, these, your health or even your life, and yet like we're, we've aligned with Christ and, and we're not moving. Second observation, it encourages us and equips us. When we've been with Jesus, it changes how we respond to authority or to power. We love all, but we fear no one. Isn't that awesome? The danger in responding to authority is sometimes, and I feel like in our culture recently, we've, we've gone into a non-honor mode or a non-respect mode. God calls us to honor all authority, respect authority. And, and Peter, in his letter, he'll hit that really hard to the Christians. He's like, guys, we're not to be fighting back against authority in a way that others fight back. We are to be standing our ground, fear no one, but do so with love, and yet um, be bold, fear no authority, because we are following the authority. I love it that, you know, Peter and John are able to look at these, these guys as Christ looked at them and care about them, love them, and be faithful. That If we fear people, we cannot truly love people, because we we won't have the guts to say what needs to be said, the truth that needs to be said. But when we are not afraid of people, we are able to love them and say what needs to be said when it needs to be said. So, we, uh, but moving on, it's on to the third observation. When we've been with Jesus, it changes what we ask him for. So what do they do? Well, they get released, and on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them, and when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So they go back to their church family, hear about these threats. They hit their knees. They're praying. And this prayer is just, it could be a whole message in and of itself. It's, it gets its format from a prayer Hezekiah prayed in Isaiah 37 and uh, when a, a king was threatening Hezekiah. But what you'll notice, when we go to pray and we're in a, situ, a problem situation, what are, we, what are we tempted to do? Our first move is we focus on the problem. But they don't focus on the problem. Their first move is they focus on the power of God, which is so crucial. Check it out. It says uh, they start with sovereign Lord. So he is, they look at him, he's sovereign, meaning he is the ruler of all. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And they just re- praise him for his, him being creator and sustainer and remind themselves of that, like he's got it all. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And here they quote Psalm 2. So they're praying Psalm 2, which is this. Why do the nations rage and the the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And then they bring that psalm into their current experience. They remember their place in history. As they say, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together. They were those the kings at the time of Jesus. And uh, they met together with the Gentiles and your people in Jerusalem, Israel, in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So they're reminding themselves, even in that crazy moment where the rulers are opposing Jesus, God's perfect plan of redemption was playing out through the 
God is not the author of evil, and yet when we choose evil, he can use even those evil choices for the greatest good. And the most evil of choice to crucify Jesus was the birthplace of the greatest good, the salvation of everyone who will turn to him in faith. This is our God. So do we need to fear these threats? Do we need to fear these guys? No. So what do we ask for? Well, when we're focused on the problem, what do we ask for? Lord, would you fix the problem, and would you... These troublemakers, would you infect them with chicken pox and whatever else? <laughs> Make them hurt, you know? We, we pray against them. They don't do that. What do they ask God for? When we've been with Jesus, guys, when we see his majesty, when we see his power, when we're reminded that we have a risen Lord who is alive and who is active today in our moment in this opposition, we don't pray for protection, for security, or for the... Uh, judgment upon our enemies. This is what we pray for. Verse 29, now Lord, consider their threats. You got, the, you got their threats. They're, they're blowing smoke down there. We know you'll take care of that. Here's what we pray for and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. What did they ask for? When we've been with Jesus, it changes what we ask for. We ask for great boldness. Our greatest threat is not the threats that we perceive, it's the threat of fear that would keep us from being a bold witness and living out the mission that God's given us for his glory and the good of people around us. And so, uh, and while, and the translation, stretch out your hand, a better one is, while you stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And what happens? God answers the prayer. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Observation three, when we've been with Jesus, it changes what we ask him for. We ask for great boldness. Isn't that good? I love this. I think about, uh, again, when we've been with Jesus, when we get with him, and I don't know how often I, I feel just life gets scary, it gets, get out there in the week, and all of a sudden, um, perspective gets messed up and problems get big. People get big. God gets small. But just to get with him again, to stop and just enter his presence in prayer through his word, fix our eyes on his power, on his majesty, and just remember, okay, you made all this. <laughs> you made all this. Every molecule of the universe is under your control. You sustain all this. And the worst moment in history, apparently, what appeared to be was when you were crucified and yet in that moment psalm 2 if you read on that the psalm they're praying if you read on it says this is how, how does god respond to the threats of kings on earth those who threat threaten his anointed and it's a, a picture that most of us don't think about with god what does heaven do when somebody threatens you as you do what god's calling you to do it's for david it was for jesus it's for followers of christ heaven laughs. God laughs. It's like, it, it moves into the category of comedy for him. Like, that they're going to actually hurt you, no. But then it, it moves into um, calling us to trust him. And, and so, our greatest threat is fear. And so we ask for great boldness. Three action steps that flow out of this message. The first one is, come to Jesus. If you don't know Christ, if you haven't 
don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. The message, the reason Peter and John and those guys were so bold is they are eyewitnesses of the one who said, I am going to die and raise from the dead three days later, and he did. Christianity is not some religion that we people got together like, hey, the, Christianity is based on a dead man who is now alive and said, follow me. Receive, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. And it's not like there's multiple paths to God. There is one path, and that is Jesus Christ. And so I invite you into that, and, and he welcomes you into that and to trust him as your Lord and Savior. Second is, commit to being with him. If you know him, commit to being with him. The source of our courage is intimacy with Christ. And so um, it's not a, you know, a, a once a week thing. It's a day, day, daily thing and a moment by moment thing that we're seeking his presence. And so we just encourage each other in that. As a church family, we talk about a daily meeting, a weekly, sab a weekly uh, withdrawal, and an annual retreat with him, all committed to developing our friendship with him. And so the daily meeting, we, every day, we, we get with him in his word prayer. We talk with him throughout the day, but, but then on the weekend, we have, and, and under the old covenant, it was Sabbath. Under the new covenant, it's, it's a gift that we can receive, but we take extended time to just be with him and to order, allow him to order our soul. And then we talk about a, an annual retreat. Now, I challenge everybody, take one weekend a year, get away with God for the sole purpose of uh, enjoying your friendship with him and receiving what he wants to give you. He's got something he wants to give you. And he will, I, one byproduct of that time with him is he will fill your soul up with courage for whatever it is he's called you to do in your life mission. And we, we have resources to help with that if you have questions around that. And then the third action step out of this truth is to join our Go Reach 21-day training plan that's coming up in two weeks. So it's uh, summed up in this booklet that we'll make available. You can go uh, sign up online. We'll have a QR code that you can sign up on as well. We'll get that out to you via email, and we'll have it here next Sunday. But basically, we will, um, every day there's a, some there's a truth to know, a question that challenges us, and an action step to take that, that takes some boldness. We do this in teams of two, and so you can find a training partner and run. But here's the thing, guys. Most of us don't need more information to be a bold witness. We just need training to do it. Right now, most of us can't run a marathon, but I guarantee you, give us four months, and pretty much everyone in the room could get through a marathon or some sort of long-distance event, right? It's training, and so, so it is with our as we seek to be a bold witness. And so this is going to be hopefully everybody in the house jumps on and, and we're all running through this 21 days of, of training together. And it leads up to Easter, which will be a great opportunity to, to invite a friend to join us. So bringing it all together, the simple challenge of the day is to be a bold witness, to which we say how? Courage flows out of our proximity to Christ to be with Christ. And so as we watch this moment play out, three observations motivate us to be with him. When we've been with Jesus, it changes how we see opposition. Eyes of courage. We don't see opposition, we see opportunity. When we've been with Jesus, it changes how we respond to authority. And we love all, but we fear none. And when we've been with Jesus, it changes what we ask for. Instead of focusing on the problem and asking for all of the things like protection and security, we know those are already covered. We ask him for bold, to be a bold witness. 
when we've been with Jesus, it changes everything. And I think it's fitting then today that we, the pinnacle of our worship time is, is communion. And Jesus gave us this ordinance. It's a sacred, sacred ordinance given to his church, to those who are members of his church and those who have trusted him as Lord and Savior, to, uh, to remember him. And the bread represents his body, which was broken for us. And it's a reminder of his love the cost of our salvation, and it moves us to worship and and thank Him. But then the cup reminds us of His blood that was poured out to cover our sin and reminds us that through faith in Him, we are forever forgiven. Another thing the cup reminds me of or the juice reminds me of is Scripture says that life is in the blood. We know physiologically that's true, that oxygen is carried in the blood. And spiritually, I, I love the picture of Jesus used his life to give us life. He poured out his life, his blood to give us life. And it brings us to the question, am I going to spend my life for him and for those around me as a bold witness? And Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. In this life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so as we come into this time of of worship, our elders will will, uh, pass these plates, and we will uh, pray before we, uh, I'll read some scripture, and then we'll we'll, uh, partake of these together. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for this time in your word now, and just uh, the call up, we feel it, of being a bold witness. We thank you for your presence with us, and Just the fact that we can live courageously and boldly, knowing that you are here with us, that you are really the the source of our courage. So we pray that you'd help us to live close to you. Lord, we treasure your presence. Thank you for being with us today. And as we turn to this time of communion, we we just thank you for the the gift of our salvation. We ask you to, to cleanse us and to control us, confess our sin to you and ways that we have not followed you, the wrong thoughts and actions and words that that we have said, and we just give those to you and ask you to forgive us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.